Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. This is Basketball History 101 with Rick Loiza. Welcome back to award-winning Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network. I am your host, Rick Loiza, and this is the podcast where we bring to life some of the forgotten stories from basketball history. We are bringing old-school basketball to a new-school audience. And today, we bring you the story of when the Golden State Warriors sued Rick Barry. Now, for those that do not know, Rick Barry is a Hall of Famer. He is on the NBA 75th anniversary list. He is a 12-time All-Star between his time in the NBA and the ABA. He was four-time All-ABA and six-time All-NBA. He was the 1966 NBA Rookie of the Year. He was also the 1975 NBA Finals MVP when he led the Golden State Warriors to the NBA Championship. So Rick Barry has all of the accolades to be considered one of the great players of all time. He is the only player in basketball history to lead the NBA, the ABA, and the NCAA in scoring. Very simply, Rick Barry could fill it up. He was a gifted scorer. When he retired in 1980, he had the highest career free throw percentage in league history at 90%. However, he has since been surpassed by Mark Price, Steve Nash, and Steph Curry. Now, before we get into the lawsuit, let me give you some more about this man. The thing about Rick Barry is that there is a wide range of opinions about him. It seems that nobody has a bad thing to say about him in terms of his basketball skill. He was an incredible scorer and he could hang with the best scorers of his era, and not just hang with them. As I mentioned, he led the NBA and the ABA in scoring during his career. The man was legit. Whoever was assigned to defend him was in for a long night. At the same time, it seems that he did not make a lot of friends during his playing career. Most NBA players develop good friendships with their teammates and even friendships with opponents. There are many opportunities for players from different teams to get together and spend time around each other, like at All-Star Games or the Olympics or maybe even a photo shoot or a commercial shoot for an endorsement. And it seems that Barry was one of those guys that simply did not make the effort to connect with other players and could not have cared less about making friends in basketball. And that makes him a bit of an Enigma. That is what made this episode a bit challenging. In trying to get to the root of who he was as a person, it seems I came up with almost no positive comments about him as a person. So, if he led the Warriors to the 1975 championship, why would the Warriors sue him? Well, he played for the Warriors on two different occasions. He won the NBA championship on his second stint with the Warriors. It was during his first stint that he got sued. But who was this guy? Well, let us go back to the beginning. He was born and raised in New Jersey where he played multiple sports. However, due to his height, he was most successful at basketball. He grew to a height of 6 foot 7 or 201 centimeters, which made him a top recruit coming out of high school in 1961. He was tall, athletic, and seemingly good at everything he tried. For college, he picked a school that was off the beaten path, at least by the standards of the early 1960s. Back then, all of the best basketball schools were in the Northeast, Midwest, or the West Coast of the United States. There was no significant basketball school from the state of Florida at the time. So 
this is where the unconventional Rick Berry chose to go. He selected the University of Miami, a small private school in Coral Gables, Florida. He went there because of their fast-paced style of play. He really liked the idea of going to a school that maximized the number of possessions. That would give Berry a great chance to lead the nation in scoring, which is what he was all about. He knew that if he could lead the nation in scoring, then he could put himself into a great position to get drafted into the NBA. And at Miami, he played for head coach Bruce Hale, who would become an important figure in his life beyond college. And this is why. Barry also met and later married the coach's daughter. As a senior at Miami, he averaged 37.4 points per game and Coach Hale's fast-paced system. Rick Barry put himself in a great position to move on to the next level. At the 1965 NBA draft, the Golden State Warriors held the first and the second picks in the entire draft. Now, Bill Bradley and Gail Goodrich were already off the board as territorial picks, but with the first regular pick, the Warriors took Fred Hetzel from Davidson University. He played six years with a career average of 11 points per game. But with the second pick, they took Rick Barry from the University of Miami. Barry averaged just under 26 points per game as a rookie, and those are incredible numbers. That scoring average put him fourth in the entire league behind Will Chamberlain, Jerry West, and Oscar Robertson. Now that is some elite company for a rookie. So what does Barry do in his second year? He ups his scoring average to 35.6 points per game and leads the entire league in scoring. In a very short amount of time, he established himself as one of the great scorers in the league, and the league still had guys like Chamberlain, West, and Robertson. He also surprised everybody at the All-Star Game that year when he led all scorers with 38 points and won All-Star Game MVP. This guy was only in his second year and he was putting his stamp on the league. He was also averaging 10 rebounds per game, so he was no slouch in that department either. He wasn't just a pure scorer. He could do a lot of damage on those boards. Now, after that second year, something unusual happened. The ABA came calling. Specifically, it was the Oakland Oaks, who played basketball right across the bay from the Warriors. But when the ABA called, it was not just anyone who contacted Barry to gauge his interest. The coach and general manager of the Oaks was his old college coach and now father-in-law, Bruce Hale. It would be headline news for the ABA and specifically the Oaks if they could convince this NBA All-Star to switch leagues. The move would give the ABA more legitimacy as an alternate league to the NBA. And this would be a huge coup for Bruce Hale if he could work out the details with his son-in-law. And just to add a little bit more context, Barry was dissatisfied with his rookie contract with the Warriors, and he felt that the Warriors' ownership had not fulfilled their end of some incentive payments that were due to Barry. It was a relatively easy decision for him. He could go and play for his father-in-law, who still preferred that fast-paced style of play, and Barry would not even have to move house. The newspapers went bonkers with the news that Barry was jumping from the NBA and moving to the NBA. This sent shockwaves through both leagues. If this had happened today, Adrian would Janowski would have dropped one of the biggest Woj bombs ever. Stephen A. Smith would have screamed out a 10-minute rant about how the ABA is the future and the NBA is dead. But in real life, NBA owners were now genuinely worried that the ABA might want to come and poach some of their other superstars. All of the ABA owners were excited because Rick Barry could sell a lot of tickets in every arena he played in. 
This was not just local news in the San Francisco area. This was a type of news that made the front page of the sports section in every major newspaper across the country. And of course, the Warriors were not just going to take this lying down and just let Barry walk away. Here is where the lawsuit comes in. Barry still had an active contract with the Warriors. So the Warriors sued Barry and the Oakland Oaks for breach of contract. And they had a point. Barry had signed a three-year contract when he was drafted and he had only played two years when he had signed with the Oaks. This meant that he still had one more year to go with the Warriors. And I am actually not sure what Barry and Hale were thinking. He still had an active contract with the Warriors and then signed an active contract with a team from a different league to perform the same activity. So while that lawsuit was pending, his reputation in the public took a huge hit. He was labeled a money-grubbing athlete who had no appreciation for the team that gave him his NBA opportunity. Actually, when you think about it, the hate that Barry received was very similar to the hate that LeBron James received when he left the Cavaliers for the Heat back in 2010. I guess any time that a player switches teams like that for more money, he is labeled as greedy, especially if the player is still in his prime, which Barry was. So there was no exception made for Barry. The Warriors fans turned on him. It is a good thing that the NBA had not yet figured out how to sell jerseys or else Warriors fans of 1967 would have been burning them outside the San Francisco Civic Auditorium. And this turned into an enormous legal mess. And this is a good place to take a break and we'll be right back with the results of that Warriors lawsuit. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Welcome back to the show and let us continue with the story of Rick Barry and that lawsuit. So after Barry's second season in the NBA, he gets a huge offer to switch leagues to the ABA. The contract would practically double his warrior salary and the offer was made by his own father-in-law who was the new general manager and coach of the Oakland Oaks of the ABA. Now, as I mentioned before the break, the San Francisco Warriors sued to keep Barry and not let him leave for the other league. The lawsuit went through the court system and here was the outcome. Barry could either return to the Warriors, which would nullify the contract with the Oaks, or he would have to sit out an entire season of basketball until his Warriors contract ran out, and then he was free to join the Oaks as a full-time player. Well, he decided to sit out a year. He was only 24 years old and had just led the entire NBA in scoring at over 35 points per game. And then he's just suddenly decided to sit out an entire season even though he was perfectly healthy. But he was not just sitting around. There was nothing in any of the contracts that said that he could not serve the Oaks in other capacities, just not as a basketball player per the judgment. So Barry joined the broadcast team for the Oaks and announced their games for that year as a way of staying connected to the franchise. After that year was over, he was then free to join the Oaks full-time as a player. Now, by the way, the Oaks were owned by pop singer Pat Boone, who would sometimes sing at halftime as a way of selling more tickets to the game. For a low price, you get a basketball game and a 15-minute Pat Boone concert. And Pat Boone was still extremely popular in the late 1960s. Today, it would be like Drake performing regularly during halftimes of Raptors games in order to sell more tickets. Anyway, in his first year of playing with the Oaks, he led the entire ABA in scoring and 
and the Oakland Oaks won the ABA championship. His father-in-law had moved into a strictly front office role, and Alex Hannum, the new coach, is the one that took the team to the championship. And they won the championship without Barry, actually, as he had suffered an injury that kept him out of the entire playoffs. Now, how often do you see that happening, that a team loses their leading scorer just before the playoffs are set to start, and then they still win the championship? That was an all-around squad. That team also had Warren Jabali, Doug Moe, and Larry Brown to help carry the load without Barry in the mix. But despite winning the championship, the Oaks were losing money and needed something to help revitalize the team. They were the only ABA team that was playing in an NBA city, and they felt that might have something to do with their lack of ticket sales. The team was sold to new owners and relocated to the East Coast and became the Washington Capitals. And Barry continued to score in bunches, but the team was just not making it in Washington, D.C. either. They relocated after just one year and moved down to the south end of Virginia in Norfolk and became the Virginia Squires. However, Barry did not go with them. He was traded to the New York Nets, who were still in the ABA. Barry continued to score 30 points per game for the team and established the Nets as a team worth seeing as a great alternative to the Knicks. And then his five-year ABA contract ended, and he really wanted to get back to the NBA, where things were a little bit more stable. The ABA was just a bit chaotic. He played in the ABA for only four years, and he played in three different cities. But that was part for the course in the ABA. Well, the Warriors were more than happy to have him back when he rejoined the team and continued to score in bunches. After all, the guy still was in his prime, and when he returned to the Warriors, he returned to a stacked team with Nate Thurman, Jeff Mullins, Cassie Russell, and Jim Barnett. They really started to build something special because they had the talent to go all the way. And as far as the fans were concerned, well, all was forgiven, and the fans came back to supporting Rick Barry. Kind of like the way the Cavaliers fans welcomed LeBron back with open arms in 2014. But by 1975, the Warriors players around Rick Barry had turned over almost completely, and that allowed Barry to become the centerpiece. With Jamal Wilkes and Butch Beard helping to carry the scoring load, the 1975 Golden State Warriors went all the way and captured the championship. In the playoffs that year, the Warriors defeated the Seattle Supersonics four games to two in the first round. Then they defeated the Chicago Bulls in a tight seven-game series to clinch a spot in the finals. And there, they swept the Washington Bullets in four relatively close games. It was the team's first championship in California and their third overall. The first two team championships were won when the team was still located in Philadelphia. And since 1975, the Warriors did not win another championship until 2014, when Steph Curry was the leader of the team. But back to Rick Barry. By the time that 1978 rolled around, Barry had lost a step and signed for his final two seasons with the Houston Rockets, where he was their sixth man. After his contract ended, he decided to hang them up and walk off into the sunset. He finished his career with an average of 25 points per game between his time in the NBA and ABA. And after his playing career, he went into a very successful broadcasting career. I mean, many players try to transition to broadcasting after their playing days, but Barry was actually quite good at it. He also continued to make appearances and endorse a number of different products. He also left behind an incredible athletic legacy. He has four sons and three of them have also played in the NBA. Drew Barry, John Barry, and Brent Barry all played in the NBA to varying degrees of success. None of them were all-stars like their father, but still, to have three sons have solid NBA careers is extremely special. The Berries are an extremely athletic family with son Brent even winning the dunk contest. Yet, despite all of this, the thing that he is probably most known for is his underhand free throw shooting style. 
he shot his free throws underhand. If you Google for images of Rick Barry shooting free throws, you will see him shooting them underhanded, which is hard to argue with because as of this episode, he is the fourth most accurate free throw shooter of all time. Despite what his free throws look like, they worked. And in the end, isn't that what scoring is about? Doing what works? maximizing your opportunities. And when you look at his entire body of work, Rick Barry definitely is one of the great scorers in basketball history. Well, that is it for today. Join us next time when we share the story of the longest winning streak in North American team sports history. It is the story of when the 1972 LA Lakers won 33 games in a row. That's next time on Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network, the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com to find out more about this and other sports history podcasts. If you like what you hear, please hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. And check out our page on Facebook. It's called Basketball History 101 Podcast. There you will find shorter historical posts as well as comments and discussion starters on today's game. I'll also announce there when new episodes come out. I want to thank my producer and editor, Jacob Loiza. Join us each week as we continue to mine the history of basketball for more great stories in the past. Take care and see you soon. <laughs>